Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods one minute at a time. I am Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Molly Bielan of LittleRedMark.com. And it's Friday, and we've got Ryan Haupt back from Science Sort Of. Welcome back, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, and you've been bringing some awesome thoughts and research, and it's really, really appreciated. It makes it a lot of fun. Hey, we've we've all listened to shows where we're screaming at the host for overlooking something that we ourselves knew about, so I'm just trying to <laughs> provide that service. I'm trying to be the guy who says the thing that, that you were hoping wouldn't get excluded. <laughs> Good work. Yay! <laughs> So uh, we are in episode 33 of the movie, The Cabin in the Woods. And in this minute, we finally get to the point where they read the Latin. Dana says something I thought was a little interesting, which she says, it doesn't even mean anything. Why does she think it doesn't even mean anything? That's a good question. Because it does. I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think she was speaking to more that it's a diary that in and of, that's how I interpreted that, that not necessarily okay. the, the Latin. And maybe now that we're talking about like, oh, maybe he was refer. I mean, he was like, don't read the Latin, like don't go there just in case. Cause he has a bad feeling about it. Right. Um, but you know, this also at that point that Dana says it doesn't even mean anything. Kurt says it's a diary. Because it seems, and this is something I was going to check in with you guys about, because it wasn't entirely clear to me with the blocking, because Marty approaches her when he's like, don't, I'm drawing a line in the sand here. I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand. Do not read the Latin. And he approaches. Right. But it wasn't clear to me, because at first I was like, is he going to go snatch the diary out of her hand and be like, okay, no, like, I'm, I'm going to be forceful about it, because Kurt's like, physical with him in that moment. So did you guys interpret that as Kurt just being... I mean, he's reactionary, sure, but, like, did you see Marty as stepping to take it at that point? Hmm, it's a good question. I mean, his anxiety is on full display. Uh, you know, sometimes people, are, when they're stoned, they get a little paranoid. <laughs> true, true. Uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, I don't, I guess I didn't read as much into it. It just felt more like they had to up the dramatic tension of the scene somehow. And, and so you have to have your straight man character try to prevent the thing from happening because I don't know if they've talked about it at the facility yet, but part of the way the ritual works is the characters inside the ritual have to have the opportunity to not do it. Mm -hmm. right. So that's why you have like the harbinger at the gas station. He literally warns them that they're about to go to their doom. And so you're, you know, part of the way this ritual works in its appeasement of the ancient ones is there have to be points at which these characters could escape mm. before they're sacrificed. Otherwise, it's not authentic enough for the, the ancient ones to be satisfied. Right. And then if we are the ancient ones as the audience of the movie, then it, it's more compelling to us if there is some maybe some conflict here, too. It's more exciting if somebody's like going, you know, don't read the Latin and it looks like maybe there's going to be, you know, not quite fisticuffs, but a... a, a <laughs> a uh, dividing of of our um team here you know if he's I mean it also you know the maybe we never see what's on the film that he's been looking at 
Right. So maybe he sees something on the film that scares the hell out of him and heightens his tension and anxiety for the scene generally. Cause he's like, okay, there's something horrific on the film. So whatever's happening in this basement is bad and we should right. just get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then especially it's like, it's not just, I found a diary and there's some Latin. The stuff she read before it sets a tone of a lot of creepiness. So it it also seems pretty, yeah. And it also seems like a trope he might be familiar with almost, you know, like Mm -hmm. we said, he's the meta dude, right? So he might be going like, nothing ever good happens in the, you know, it's kind of like, I forget who somebody says, um, oh, I think it's actually in that movie I recommended, The Little little Evil by the same guy that did uh, Tucker Mm. and... Tucker and Dale, or they end First up in a evil, court. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, he says they uh, end up at out in a cornfield, you know. And he says like nothing ever good <laughs> happens in a cornfield, <laughs> and it might be kind of the same thing. Like he's thinking this Latin, speaking Latin, that just seems like a you know a you're asking for trouble. You know? Yeah, I think it's a safe, better be safe than sorry move for sure because i mean you know and i I think that's also what dana's point is here is that it's just a diary like what's gonna happen i mean you know in their reality there's no magic monsters incantations necronomicon that kind of thing so it's in that realm of of innocence and reason what shit could go wrong right we're finding over these last few minutes that Marty is smarter than maybe what we first thought. You know, first it was just goofy stoner dude, but maybe he was listening to her say, you know, my good arm is hacked up and at, so I hope this will be readable, that a believer will come and speak this to our spirits. Then we will be restored and the great pain will return. And then she's going to read Latin. So, you know. Here's my question, question, though. Yeah. What happens if they listen to Marty and they all just walk away and nobody activates any of the objects? Because clearly the actual summoning of the monsters is is induced by reading the Latin. And so. Right. What's the scenario? Like, do they just go back upstairs and have a fun rest of the weekend right before the world ends? Because the ancient ones are not satisfied. Right. Or, well, unless, unless something in Japan, you know, happens in Japan doesn't fail. Right. Yeah. So but we yeah. see there's at least like half a dozen different off- facilities trying to perform the ritual right. around the world. And we know later from in the film that the Japan one does fail. Right. Um, there's a Swedish one, an Argentinian one, a Spanish one, a German one and a Burmese one. Yes. So, yeah, I I guess that that is a good question. Like, what happens if they all fail? Then it's not much of a story. Because it's one thing for them to survive the zombies, which Mm -hmm. is part of the ritual. You know, they they have to kill the whore first, and then uh, the virgin is supposed to die last. But it's also you know it's it's possible the virgin could live, right, and and not need to be killed as part of the ritual. But what happens if they never invoke any monster at all? Because they have to be the like, as far as I understand, they have to be the ones that do it. There's no like, oh, okay, you didn't actually summon any of the monsters, so we're just gonna you know roll a d twenty and you get merman. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I wonder if if they leave the basement, if there's some nuke, they they probably have other ways of trying to get them back down, or you know, for right for one of them to engage or something. So there might be other ways. But I mean, there's a timer on this, and they're clearly it's coming down to the wire. 
Mm-hmm. Even though this is so far going exactly according to the plan of the facility, they're still kind of cutting to the last minute. Yeah, if this was like a video game where it was a, this was one of the, op, you know, this is the main option, right? Is that you go in the basement and then one of your characters is going to pick pick one of these talismans. Then if they don't, then is there some other other version of the game that you play where you find some other way of summoning things like... I'm guessing, I would guess, this is a total guess, I'm guessing the door to the basement, like, slams shuts and locks, and they're trapped in the basement, so now they have to fiddle around with objects to try to figure a way out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that's something, something like that would be the facility's failsafe, of just, you have to keep them in the basement by any right. means necessary, knowing that if they're in there long enough, and the, with the drugs we're pumping in there, they'll eventually do something that'll activate Yeah, the yeah. And yeah, something tooting on the... <laughs> <laughs> on the conch shell doesn't look that scary so it could be a Is that the merman the thing <laughs> yep yep but that's the deal with these objects is that they have a sense of innocence to them so they're accessible because if they were scary upon view they then they wouldn't be investigated so they have to have a sense of uh, approachability and safety and something that would be be fun to play with. But I think the other thing that is, is happening here is that there's this really weird whisper that Marty hears. It's like, read it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like the way that the rest of them are receiving that read it and read it out loud is just as a like almost an inner voice or something like they're not recognizing it as something hinky. <laughs> It's just another part of the the seduction. But for him, he's like, what the fuck is this? And he leaps around. and <laughs> Yeah, so nothing's really getting by by him. Well, should we uh, get to the Latin itself? Yeah, let's do it. So I don't speak Latin, uh, but I do speak Spanish. And so I picked up the first word that she reads immediately, which is dolor, which in, even in Spanish just means pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a bad start. And then, uh, I, you know, I, I try to read. Uh, you, you can kind of get the context a little bit. So it's dolor supervivo caro. And that's the first line, which means uh, pain survives flesh or pain outlives the flesh. So like dolor's pain, supervivo is to survive. So you're above the living supervivo. And then caro is body or flesh, like corpse, caro. I think those are probably cognates. Um, corpus. And then the second line is Dolor Sublimus Caro, which is pain sublimates or elevates or transforms the flesh. So like sublimation in science is when there's a change in the state of matter. So like carbon dioxide, dry ice, when dry ice is gassing off, you know, it's going straight from Mm -hmm. being a solid to being a gas and skipping the liquid phase. That's sublimation. So it's like a like a transformation. Gotcha in an unexpected sort of way. And then the last line is Dolor Igneo Animus, which is pain ignites the spirit. And that's the line that brings forth the dead. Gotcha. So it ignites their spirit. Yes. And she says that to almost that I believe uh, uh, that a believer will come and speak this to our spirits. And so that's, that's bringing them Back, bringing their spirits back to life. Cool. At which point they pop up out of the ground. Yes. Yeah, and then we're treated to a few seconds of, of them rising. Rise. 
Yes. Yeah. And this part really, to me, when we talk about how many different spooky movies um, they uh, sort of reference, this particular rising really reminded me of one of my favorites, which is Return of the Living Dead. Mm. And of course, Carrie, too, there's that hand, you know, coming out of the ground. But Return of the Living Dead starts um, or there's two different scenes one in the beginning and one at the end and both of them include that hand coming out and then of course evil dead too there's so we've got a lot of good you know and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of others but for me because i've seen return of the living dead so many times and it comes out zombie comes out and then do you want a party starts playing (laughs) it's like kind of a different (laughs) tone but still scary (laughs) Well, in in, uh, learning about the Bloody Benders, I was kind of looking around, like I said, uh, the last minute, I was looking around for what might have been the inspiration for a redneck zombie torture family. Mm -hmm. And I did stumble across the 1987 film called Redneck Zombies. Nice. The trailer of which is insane. (laughs) Basically, a clan of good old boy hillbillies spill radioactive waste onto their moonshine still (laughs) and then proceed to drink the product and turn into zombies and go on a rampage and it basically just looks like a very slasher torture heavy you know it's just a lot of people getting ripped up by zombies and attacked and it looks very dumb and campy and purposefully b-movie level everything about it uh, the one part that made me laugh with sincerity is the film is set, not, not, it might have been filmed there as well, but it's set. And remember, Redneck Zombies is the entire point of this. It's set in Maryland. <laughs> like, not that really? Maryland doesn't have rural parts and even part of Appalachia. So there's definitely going to be some, some moonshine and folk up there, but like, it's not really a go-to state for redneck hillbilly mythology, is it? Interesting. Yeah, no. I mean, are there? Was Maryland? Yeah, I mean, uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland. No, right. (laughs) The DC suburb of Chevy Chase. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was just re-looking at the um, Evil Dead, the original Evil Dead poster, because I was like, doesn't that have something like this? And it definitely does. Like, there's the ground with a hand reaching up out to like a a nakedy lady so there's definitely that's definitely a nice little you know direct reference right there for sure so yeah that was kind of what I was spending my time looking at was like what does this remind me of and then I just enjoyed looking at everybody and kind of listening to the the foley of all the different family members coming out and then they're them bringing out like the saw you could kind of hear this come out and you know everybody's bringing out their instruments and you see ma buckner here you can um see <laughs> the coal in her belly and uh it's red you know and kind of flamey and uh that's a pretty fantastic effect that the practical effect that they they you know they may have enhanced with a little digital but it's it's really cool looking what do you guys think about these these zombie, this redneck zombie family. <laughs> I kind of, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the zombie that has any intelligence from its previous life. Mm-hmm. But 
I accept it for the I accept it especially as set up for the joke later when the person is upset that they didn't win the the raffle be when they pick zombies because <laughs> zombie redneck torture family is clearly different. <laughs> so I do like, and they also yeah I do like that they distinguish the zombies from the redneck torture zombies. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a a ridiculous distinction when I saw it in the movie as well, because I'm like, well, you know, zombies are zombies. But until, you know, I did research about where zombies came from originally, like where where that mythology comes from. And then... Like the Haitian voodoo priest, all that stuff. Yeah. Like the pufferfish venom. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought, actually, when I was reading about it, it was a little bit, well, or really actually a lot sad. And then hearing you talk about the bloody benders, it really is. They're two different categories. They're like cousins, but they're not the same thing, really. Yeah, I think the um, earliest zombie movie, so before the Romero kind of reinvention of the ghoul as, uh, you know, being out for brains, the film called White Actually, Zombie Actually, the brain from part came from, sorry, the bra- just because you said that earlier about wanting to be the person that comes in and brings the info that the uh, yeah, no, please. That the listeners are, are yelling at. The actual, the brain part did uh, did start in Return of the Living Dead. Ah, okay. That's well, the film or that, that little idea. But yes, Go ahead, please. Before the Romero zombies. Yeah, there was a there's a film White Zombie from 1932, and it is about a woman going to Haiti and experiencing like, you know, closer to the true mythology, Haitian zombies. I'm not sure if I've seen that. I've seen like I I walk with a zombie and I think like I married a zombie (laughs) or I've seen quite a few of these older ones that are, you know, set in Haiti and are very, um, you know, um, sort of have a bit of a not noir, but, you know, black and white kind of beauty to them. But I don't think I've seen white zombie. Is that what you said it's called? Yeah. Mm hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's Bella Lugosi. Probably got a pretty cool poster, I bet. I always like to collect the oh, <laughs> of course, all I got was the band White Zombie. I didn't even think of that. That's so funny. <laughs> you know, White Zombie, like Rob Zombie. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so Molly, I think you were doing a little bit of yeah. You delved a little bit deeper into that history of of zombies. Was there anything else you wanted to? speak about besides what we've already mentioned just a couple of things i did run into an article from the atlantic that uh, talks about the history of of the zombie and where it comes from from haiti and uh its beginnings and 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 it does talk about dawn of the dead a little bit so you do get a film history a little bit of a film history in that particular article but i will post that up along with uh, our show notes so you guys can check that out and read that since we've already mentioned that it, it did come from Haiti and it's the white zombie was the probably the first popular culture piece that included basically colonial white people being injected into the mythology when I was trying to do a little bit of research because I was like oh let's look up um, reanimating the dead and see what happens online what you get and The couple things that I saw, the first thing was they were doing, Soviet scientists were doing um, experiments on animals to reanimate them. And so there's some, I didn't watch the videos because watching 
animals be hurt is just not, I really can't stomach that. And then it also talks about uh, a monkey's head being sewn on to a monkey body that it does not belong to. And the monkey being really, really angry for a day and just glaring at the scientist that did it until the monkey died. And then the other thing that I was reading, which was kind of interesting, and this might be a little bit up Ryan's alley, is there was a life science article called, Is It Possible to Reanimate the Dead? And so it starts out with, uh, in 1999, a Swedish medical student named Anna Bagenholm lost control while skiing and landed headfirst in a thin patch of ice covering a mountain stream. The surface gave way and she was pulled into the freezing current below where her friends caught up with her. Minutes later, only her skis and ankles were visible above an eight inch layer of ice. And so basically what it goes on to say is that they tried to get her out for 40 minutes. And so she had an air pocket for some of that and then exhausted the air pocket And then basically her heart stopped and she was still. And so then another 40 minutes after that, a rescue team arrives, cuts her out of the ice, administers CPR, helicopter her to a hospital. And basically when she got there, she was 56 degrees Fahrenheit. So she was profoundly cold, but they were, they managed to revive her. So basically from like, it was a three hour window from the time that she fell in to the time that they revived her and she made a full recovery. So what they go on to talk about, which is kind of interesting, is that cells will self-immolate if they have deprivation of nutrient, oxygen, whatnot, and then they get a quick rush of it again. So it's like they can't handle it. So there's something to do with keeping a body cryogenically cold and then bringing it back up slowly that allows for the reanimation. So it's an interesting, excuse me, it's an interesting article and we'll post it along with it, but uh, it's kind of fascinating to see what we traditionally think of when somebody's life vitals end and they're, oh, they're dead and what little room or what room somebody might have to be able to bring somebody back after a cardiac arrest. So it's kind of fascinating. And I will add this as a side anecdote that when I learned CPR, and it's the most comforting thing I've ever been told, but they said, if you're doing CPR and that person has no pulse and isn't breathing, they're basically dead at that point. So whatever you can do is gravy. So whatever you can do to help them out at that point is great, but it can't get any worse than that. And I was like, oh, that's so wonderful. I feel so much better. (laughs) So that's where my my journey into Zombieland took me. And now I get to be a pedant. Because you said cells will self-immolate, but that's death by fire. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If you're talking about a frozen person, yeah. I know, but they kind of like explode. Yeah, so that's actually, so the term of biology we would use is um, lysis or cell lice, L-Y-S-E. Mm. Um, so that's when a cell bursts apart uh, and it can happen, you know, uh, automatically. Like a cell can just do it uh, to essentially cellular suicide, for lack of a better term. So. Oh, yeah. So it's the ons- the onslaught of oxygen causes like a panic in the white blood cells. And they get overwhelmed with inflammatory signals, and that's why they respond with self-immolation. So it's an inflammatory response. So that's where the fire ah, aspect comes interesting, in. Interesting, interesting. Um, and then there's also a Spotify playlist uh, that has a songs to do CPR to. Uh, the most, <laughs> oh my God. the most popular of which is "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. That is the right tempo. You know the uh, 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 uh. So just do the CPR compression oh at that rate. Oh my god, the more you know. 
And the other messed up thing about CPR, I've never had to perform CPR, but I've also had like CPR training and I was a lifeguard in high school and Boy Scouts and all that other stuff. Mm. Um, and my father's a physician. And the thing about oh, okay. CPR that people often don't get right, because whenever you see it in movies and television, they're usually doing it to a live person. And if you do CPR to a live person, it's very bad for them. So um, yeah, most of the time when you're seeing it, you're just seeing these little kind of pushes right you're not seeing the actual thrust that would be necessary to get the sternum to hit the heart and pump blood mm -hmm. um so mm -hmm. when you're doing cpr properly like that's why people get so tired doing cpr because it is physically exhausting uh to do for even a couple of minutes and you really 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 have to push down on the chest hard to the point where you might also break the person's ribs in getting their heart to beat for them Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was remembering from what I don't recall, but that, yeah, that it's common to break the ribs if you're doing it right. So, hmm, interesting. Crack, maybe not fully. Hopefully you're not. If you're fully breaking the ribs, you're probably <laughs> causing more damage than helping. Yeah. Some, some light cracking. Some light cracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I was going to say about Return of the Living Dead, too, also to just kind of connect it to this is that having the zombies come up from their graves in that film also comes from you know curious teens doing you know being uh poking around where they shouldn't have and that's that's how it, all the trouble starts so mm, that was little right punishment for curiosity yeah. so yeah um this has been a minute with a little bit of little bit of Latin <laughs> and uh, some some creepy voices whispering to kind of telling him what to do. Marty looking around like, what the fuck? And then <laughs> and also then, oh, to, to build on your whole curiosity thing. This yeah. will be kind of my closing thought is that quote often gets cut off early. And the full mm. quote is curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. Hmm. As a scientist, I have to advocate for curiosity. You have to be curious. Otherwise, oh, yeah. mm. never a, learn anything new. As a coach for folks, I coach curiosity um, kind of in tandem with don't be judgmental, be curious. You know, be curious over judgment. So if you're judging something, take a step back and try to be curious instead. So, yeah. Yes, but in movies like this, curiosity is usually not a good idea. At least that's yeah they're re they're reiterating that with this here. Although I'm sure with Marty figuring out and problem solving, there had to be some curiosity and some boldness in uh, kind of figuring out how to how to work this thing to his advantage later on in the film. So curiosity does pay off there, I guess. Mm, right. So cool. yeah, any any other parting thoughts before we move into our Friday recommendations? I was really thrilled to get the minute where, you know, their fate, or at least the, the form in which their fate comes upon them is decided. So thank you for letting me have some of the, I would say, pivotal moments of the movie. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. I was very excited when I, and when I looked at these minutes, I said, okay, these are great ones. We'll be sending these out. And then it's kind of all gravy from here on out. You know, it's going to be pretty, pretty exciting. But yeah, you really get us at this turning point here. So yeah, glad stuff. to have you aboard. 
So, yes, recommendations. I was going to throw out one that um, is a TV series that started fairly recently and looks like you can watch it on Amazon Video, but it's on Fox and um, it's called Ghosted. And so Ghosted, I, I remember hearing about it. Um, probably on a podcast or something. Maybe Adam Scott was on since he's a big podcaster, <laughs> a guest on many, many a podcast. But uh, yeah, so it stars Adam Scott and Craig Robinson and actually Ali Walker, who I used to watch long ago on uh, Profiler. And uh, <laughs> she was, um, anyways, the long and the short of it, is it's a comedy fantasy horror. So the characters are sort of running around and in a bit of a X-Files type world, but with a comedic take and, you know, a little bit of sincere, uh, heartfelt, cute stuff too. But I've watched, I think, three or four episodes. They were all pretty good, pretty funny, kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Men in Black a little bit too. And like I said, X-Files and they um they even have a headquarters that sort of reminds me of um you know the the headquarters here in in the cabin in the woods so if you like those guys i think adam scott's character is kind of similar to his character in uh, uh parks and rec and craig robinson's really funny and great in this too so that is my recommendation ghosted nice very cool. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was a show I was going to check out or not, but a couple of people have recommended it, so I think I will have to. Yeah, so far so good. I would give it a, a thumbs up. So Nice. There you go. <laughs> and so, Ryan, what what would you like to share with our audience today? Um, So my friends, Kelly and Zach Wienersmith, yes, that's their real name, <laughs> just had a book come out called Soonish, 10 Emerging Technologies That'll Improve and or Ruin Everything. So I would encourage people to go look for that at their... <laughs> A local bookseller. So that's that's a pretty strict plug. If we're going to go into the more pop culture realm, the scenes we watched and the whole kind of Cabin in the Woods vibe made me want to recommend a video game called Firewatch. Oh. You guys are familiar with this? I've heard of it, but I haven't played uh, my it. My friend and co-host of Science Sort of, Joe Batwinis, uh, one of my co-hosts, you know, we had kind of rotating cast of guys, uh, bought this game for me because he thought I would really like it, and he was correct. It it's a short game. You can play it in about, you know, four or five hours. And it instantly, as soon as I finished it, went on my list of one of the best games I've ever played. It's it's gorgeous to look at. It's a game set in 1989, and you are a Firewatch Ranger in Shoshone National Forest, Wyoming. Oh. And so the game is you're up in your firewatching tower, and you're communicating with the uh, main firewatching tower with this woman, Delilah, and uh, a lot of the game is just kind of you hiking around the forest while selecting conversation options from your walkie-talkie to communicate back with this woman, Delilah, and the relationship that kind of comes about from that, but also kind of there's a mystery in the forest that I don't want to say too much about, um, but you're kind of stumbling upon clues and trying to learn what really happened out here, and, and then, you know, whether or not there's going to be a fire. So mm, beautiful game. Cool. They, you know, it's an indie game. Uh, so it's not like crazy Call of Duty graphics, but uh, the, the art direction is very stylized and kind of surreal and beautiful and uh, does a, de a decent, as decent a job as I've seen in a game of making you feel like you're outside hiking 
around and the voice acting is superb. It's um, Rich Summer, who is oh, uh, yeah. Harry from Mad Men. Yeah. He's oh, the voice of the character you play. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. And it's cool. Like you find, you know, you find cool stuff in the forest. You can get a pet turtle. You can, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about turtles a lot this these episodes. I don't know why. Um, you get to choose the name for the turtle. I chose Turt Reynolds. It's, <laughs> and it's just a very, you know, very good atmospheric kind of kind of creepy, weird, haunting game that really stuck with me even after I finished it. And I don't think a lot of people have played it because it's you know it's an indie game. Um, but if you if you like narrative games, very story driven games, I would say check it out. And that was called Firewatch, cool. you said? Firewatch. Yeah. Sweet. I'm going to tell my husband about that, too. Because um, his <laughs> his uh, dad worked for the Forest Service, and I think he actually went out, did did that kind of thing. You know, had to... Oh, cool. Yeah, so that sounds really interesting. Great recommendation. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, especially pointing over the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, especially yeah for the Californians out there, and and I used to live in Wyoming. You know, I'm, that's that's where I'm finishing my PhD work right now. And so it was like it was it was surreal to be sitting in my apartment in DC playing this game where I'm back hiking in Wyoming. <laughs> mm, <laughs> totally. So Molly, how about you? So my recommendation is Tin Star, and it is a TV show. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime if you got that jam going. Uh, stars Tim Roth and uh, Joan from Mad Men. Speaking of Mad Men and Mrs. Reynolds from Firefly to tie it into a Joss Whedon cool. jam. Yeah, it's you may need a fun palate cleanser, <laughs> you know, like watch The Good Place or something uh, to to offset because it's a it's incredibly intense. And from a writing perspective, it's really interesting because the pilot episode feels like a season finale. Hmm. It's that intense and it's shot slightly out of sequence in terms of time. And the it takes place in Canada. So it's supposed to be in Alberta, um, out in the in the boonies, but the cinematography is is gorgeous. It's I'm I mean, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then one of the things I was reading about it was that they had the crew had to check trees because they were you know, out in rural areas and they were looking for like cougars and big cats that would be hanging out in the tree that might just jump down and jump on them. So cougars um, do like big, to attack from above. Animal. I've done some research on them and mm. that, Seriously? that's their preferred killing method is to drop down from, from where you can't see them. Oh uh, another thing I would tell my friends when we were out hiking in Wyoming, there was this, I would usually take people on this one trail called turtle rock. Cause we, I can't stop talking about turtles apparently. Um, <laughs> The rock is like this big kind of dome and it's got kind of a green tint to it. And so people, it's turtle rock. And there's this one part of the trail where you have to walk past this particularly large boulder. And, and so you can't see the top of the boulder. And that's when I always tell people that fact about <laughs> mountain lions. <laughs> oh my God. Apparently I'm a bad person. That's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's just, hey, be aware, you know, you just death from above. So yeah, that's part of the the environment that these guys were were shooting in. But it's a bit of a crime drama. So he is a he's his family is British and they moved from London um, for him to take kind of a small town sheriff's job. And there's an oil company that moves in that's doing some nefarious things. And he has a past with drug and alcohol addiction and 
um, things happen when he goes off the wagon. So, um, but it's, it's an intense slow burner, but really, really excellent. If you like Tim Roth, it's a, it's pretty much a vehicle for him as an actor, but it's, it's quite excellent. That sounds intriguing. If you do need a palate cleanser after that and have Amazon prime, uh, the comedy catastrophe. Oh yeah. Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Excellent. Excellent. Like it has its heavier moments and it it was also one of the final things that Carrie Fisher filmed, uh, before she passed away. And Mm. so, you know, there's, there's, you're going to, you're going to have some feelings watching that as if, if you're anything like me and, but yeah, it's just amazing, amazingly well written comedy starring two incredibly charismatic leads that, that yeah, my wife and Agreed. I relate to. Yeah, in a lot of ways, except for maybe the accidental children. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely one of those shows where I've watched it and been like, "Oh, it's so great! I'm laughing so hard!" And then I'm like, "Oh, too real, too real!" Know, you know, right? it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those shows where when you look up the actors. Out for like outside of the show you're like oh they're not actually married in real life like i can't like it i can't imagine two people having this level of chemistry on screen and not actually having an outside of screen relationship but nope they're yeah. not so yeah. they're just really good mm-hmm. two very talented people yeah definitely well cool so um yeah i think we're gonna wrap up this episode and thanks again ryan and one more time uh, where can people find you and anything, anything you want to let anybody know will be, uh, this is the time to share. Uh, Scienceworld.com is available on iTunes, any other place that you listen to podcasts. Um, and we've even started putting the show on YouTube when the, we don't get dinged for some of the music we use. Mm. Um, the, the show's available <laughs> on Patreon if people want to support it financially there. And then RyanHop.com for stuff specifically about me. So I, I talk more about my own, I, I talk about my own research pretty infrequently on the podcast. So if you're interested in the actual science I do, you want to go to RyanHop.com. But Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely put links in our show notes to both the podcast itself directly and then um, your website, too. So it'll awesome. be I appreciate for it. people to click on through. Awesome. So and today for Friday, I just wanted to say thank you to Aloha Screwdriver. So they are the ones that provide the fun little tinkly music that is our outro music. So just we hadn't said that in a while. Shout out to Aloha Mm -hmm. Screwdriver. You can find us at cabinminutecast.com. And I think that's about it for me. So I wanted to second much gratitude, Ryan, for coming on the podcast and staying oh, up pleasure. late with us, um, you, being three hours ahead and um, kicking in the ass and appreciate everything that you brought to the table. Thank you guys again for tuning into episode 33, and we will see you all back at the cabin. <laughs> <laughs>